We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 28. Our guest today has quite the introduction. He specializes in horsemanship. He is an NRHA trainer, coach, and judge. He's been a judge for the NRHA both nationally and internationally. He's also experienced in colt starting, western pleasure, breeding management, ranch riding, and trail riding. His wife was the first woman to compete and win Road to the Horse competition. She also won the 2006 AQHA Quarter Horse Congress Freestyle Reigning Competition, which she was later featured on The Ellen Show. I think it's safe to say these two are the real deal, and today we have Jesse Westfall on the podcast to talk about all of these components of his career. So without further ado, here's Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Bethany. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about your career and kind of how you got to where you are today. And um, as we talked before, I know little to nothing about the Western realm of the equestrian industry. So I would love to kind of hear all the details and kind of how you got to where you are today. Well, it's a long story, but it all started, you know, when I was young, as far back as I can remember, I've always had a passion for horses. I wanted to be a cowboy. I grew up uh, sitting on my grandpa's lap and, and watching Westerns and thinking those guys are the coolest people in the world. And so growing up, I, I wanted to be a cowboy and I lived in town. I lived in a little town called Galena, Ohio, and uh, it's just north of Columbus. And I begged and begged for a pony, but my parents weren't interested in getting me a pony. And so they decide, they told me they would get me a dog and I could show the dog in 4-H. <laughs> and so I got the dog and found a 4-H group. I went to my uh, first 4-H meeting and they had horses out back. And so they recognized immediately that I really wanted to spend all my time with the horses. And they had two kids, three horses. And they told me that if I wanted to uh, lease a horse, they would uh, free lease a horse to me. And so I did that and got to show in 4-H for several years. And uh, I'll give a shout out to the Carvers. Those are the people that uh, allowed me to lease the horse and they changed my life by how, doing that. How old were you at this point? Oh, let's see. I probably would have been... Probably 10 years old, okay. maybe. And you had never been on a horse at this point. Were they kind of giving you lessons or showing you what to do? Well, I actually had been on. I My parents uh, let me take a few riding lessons, so I took Great. some lessons, and I started out riding English, actually. Okay. And uh, so I had been on a horse before. They allowed me to lease that horse for uh, several years and took me to all the uh, 4-H meetings with them and and to the shows, and I loved it. 
did great. My parents realized that uh, I really was uh, – serious about this so they got me a pony a little poa pony it was like i think five hundred dollars or something like that and it came with a saddle and a bridle and the halter and everything i needed to ride and i had that horse uh, for a little while unfortunately my parents went through a divorce and so that was kind of the end of the pony and the dogs and so then i'll fast forward it a few years my brother started dating a young lady in high school and and her um her stepfather trained uh reining and pleasure horses in aqha and so he told me that if i would come over and clean stalls he would let me ride horses and and help me learn how to train and do some of those types of things and so I did that for a few years and his father-in-law raised POA ponies wow. and he he told me that if I broke 3 of them to ride walk trot canter back up he would give me one and so I did that and when I got that pony I bought Jack Brainerd's book called Western Training, and I wore that thing out. I trained that POA pony, and, and he actually went on to win the uh, Ohio State Fair uh, 4-H year-end reigning, and, and he was a nice pony. Amazing. So, yep, and from there, I wanted to uh, really get serious about the reining, and so I called. I, I started looking around for trainers in Ohio, and I found this guy. His name was Mike Flarida, and he just won uh, the reining futurity. So I called him up and to introduced myself and told him I was looking for a job, and he invited me over. and And you know, it was about an hour and a half to two hour drive. I drove over there, met him, and he hired me on the spot. And you know, he's in the NRHA Hall of Fame. The NRHA is the National Reining Horse Association, and he is he won the reining futurity twice. A lot of people might recognize the horse Custom Chrome. Yeah. Uh, he he and Wizard Jack, I was there when he had both of those horses. And then from Mike's, I went to work for a guy named Rusty Dare, who trained reining and pleasure horses down around Columbus, Ohio. And I worked for him for a couple of years, and that's where I met my wife, Stacy. She was going to the University of Findlay, and the trainers at the Quarter Horse Congress will hire students from Findlay to come and work for them while the show is going on. And so Rusty hired Stacy, and he hired her two years in a row. The second year that she came uh, to work for us, we started dating, and we got married. And that's just the beginning of the story, but I feel like I'm getting a little long-winded here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. So at that point, had you kind of turned professional in your riding and training career? Yes. As soon as I started accepting money for training horses, sure. I was considered a professional. Got yes. It. So when Stacy and I started dating, that was in 1995, I had accepted a training position down at a place called the uh, Lazy Bee Ranch down in Lone Grove, Oklahoma. And so I went down there and I worked there for, I don't know, probably six months. And I had some pretty nice horses. And I called Mike 
Flarida, who I had worked for up in Ohio, to tell him that I had some I thought he would like. I knew, kind of had an idea of what type horses he liked. And his wife told me he was down in Texas looking at horses. And I called him up. He came over, uh, rode the horses, liked the horses, and ended up buying one. And before he left, he said, just what in the world are you doing down here riding all by yourself out on this track? If you get hurt, no one's going to find you till <laughs> nighttime, you know, because I was riding just down in this little valley on this little homemade arena and you couldn't see a road, a house, anything from there. Wow. And so he taught and Stacy was going to the University of Findlay. Mike only he was only about an hour from there. And so I decided I wanted to be closer to her and I wanted to go back to work for him. So I moved back to Ohio. And that's where we got engaged, and we got married in 1997. Uh, we had three kids back to back. We had our first was born in 1998, second in 99, and then 2001. And so we were very busy at that time. <laughs> we were uh, both working. And uh, we were working uh, full-time jobs, and then we were renting stalls in the evening, and we would go out and we would ride horses until late into the night. And then, you know, we had a little minivan, and one of us would be riding, and the other would be keeping uh, the, the kids occupied in the back of the minivan. And then we would, so we would basically take turns riding and, and watching the boys. And we did that for several years, ended up buying a place in Mount Gilead. And uh, we started off with seven stalls and a 70 by 70 indoor arena. So we actually built that. And then as we our, our business built and we had a waiting list, we ended up building more stalls and lengthening the arena and getting some nice horses and training. You know, that's a whole new story and actually how we went about getting all those horses in training. But uh, we ended up getting a lot of horses in training and having a, a long waiting list. We got ended up with some nice horses that we were able to keep in training for a while so that we could show what we were capable of doing. Sure. And then Stacy, I was doing well she, when she was having the kids. Uh, I was I was doing well showing. I was uh, reserve champion at the All American Quarter Horse Congress a couple of times, winning you know year end awards in NRHA and AQHA, and and pretty much filled up the barn. Stacy, I had some horses that I had trained, and she in, she showed them in the freestyle reining at the Quarter Horse Congress and won those. They went viral. <laughs> Those videos, I, you may have seen she rode bareback and bridalist and dedicated yeah. a ride to her dad to live like you were dying. She ended wow. up on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I mean, in one week, we had George Strait's uh, secretary called, Ellen DeGeneres called. Uh, we just built a new website. And it was kept crashing because we were getting so many hits on our website because of the video. Wow. And so, yeah, that's when things really turned into uh, a rocket ride from there. Yeah. 
Amazing. Tell me a little bit about, uh, I know you kind of touched on having these horses in training. And I know in uh, my little subset of the industry, um, a lot of that has to do with, you know, how you are as a rider and as a professional and then bringing on clients. And uh, would would the clients be doing a lot of the riding and showing or was were those horses in training primarily for showing for you and Stacy? It, it was both. It was both. It was uh, the majority of them um, were young horses that we were training to be reigning horses. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't ready to show. The reigning horses take a couple of years to get okay. trained and into the show pen. But we did have uh, several horses that we would take to the horse shows regularly and we would show them and customers would show them. So we had a, kind of a mix of everything. And what is your process like for finding horses? I mean, it sounds like in the beginning you were breaking a lot of horses your own. Are, are you, is that still kind of the process that you go through or are you finding already made horses? Is there a mixture? What's kind of your process for that? Well, we pride ourselves in training our own horses that we that we show and that we compete on. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, um, I only train a couple of outside horses for customers that I've had for years. Mm-hmm. We train mostly our own horses. We raise the, breed them, raise them, uh, train them. I manage uh, the breeding programs or help people decide which stallions to breed to some of my customers. And so we will sometimes buy those horses at as yearlings or two-year-olds or whatever. At this point, they're almost all horses that we have ridden several generations of. We have uh, horses out here that, you know, we've ridden, you know, three and four generations of, you know, their sires and dams and grandsires. And at this point, it kind of feels like family. We know them so well, and we know, you know, they're, like I said, they're grandsires and everyone on their pedigree so well that we just kind of know them. Right, right. That's so cool. Um, when you are looking at your even the, the yearlings that are on your property that you have put through your breeding program, what are some things that you look at, some, some different aspects of these young horses that you're able to kind of pinpoint like, oh, this one is going to be special or, oh, this one might need some extra training? What, what, is it, what, what do you kind of see? What are some trends that you've noticed? Well, the first thing is their mind. You know, the mind tells the body what to do. So if sure. they have a good mind and they're they're willing to learn, they seem intelligent, you know, we know at that point that at least they're going to have some put some effort into it. And, you know, we want one that is going to stay structurally sound. It's a lot of training. It takes a long time. We're going to dedicate years to this horse. And uh, most of them, you know, we keep, if if we don't keep the horse, it stays within our circle, mm-hmm. you know. So we want a horse that's going to stay sound. We want a horse that's going to be good-minded. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that we take into consideration. Right. Yeah. Hey guys, interrupting you really quick to remind you, my favorite time of the year, Black Friday is fast approaching. Each year I come out with a free online holiday lookbook that goes over all of the big deals in the equestrian industry, as well as staying up to date on the fashion trends. So head over to myequestrianstyle.com slash lookbook to sign up for early access so that as soon as the lookbook comes out, you'll be the first to know. All right, that wasn't so bad, was it? (laughs) Let's get back to the episode. 
for raining, what are the, what tends to be the soundness issues or common injuries that you see? Oh, maybe some suspensory, mm-hmm. um, hocks, right. those types of things. Yeah, it's yeah. I would say those would probably be the main suspensory okay. type things. Right. And so, and- you know, as far as as the raining goes, uh, I still show in raining, compete in mm-hmm. raining, take people to raining shows. But I've I've branched out, and a lot of what I do these days is is teach horsemanship. I do some liberty mm-hmm. work, and um, so yeah, we do we do a lot with our horses. Stacy just got back from the uh, Western Dressage World Show. She won two world titles. She showed in the uh, in the traditional dressage over the summer and and got her uh, bronze medal and so you know we've done a little of everything ranch riding cowboy mounted shooting but it still is mostly raining that's amazing i that is something that i have recently learned a little bit about and seen as the, the western dressage that is the coolest combination i mean obviously i'm sure having her um get her bronze medal and doing the traditional dressage was very helpful but what is that what are some of the differences between dressage and the western dressage well, you would have to – Stacy could answer that one for you <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> better than I could. I wouldn't really feel comfortable answering that, but she could answer that one. She yeah. actually well, – we'll she talks about it. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, she talks about it quite a bit on, on her podcast, and, and she has a Facebook group uh, for the Western Dressage, and it has over 3,000 members now. It's something wow. she started recently. And so, yeah, a lot of that would be on, on her Facebook group. Got it. Amazing. What, tell me a little bit about the horsemanship side of your career right now. Well, I teach the horsemanship classes at Asbury University, and mainly what we do there is train uh, police horses. So we get in uh, Percheron Thoroughbred Crosses as weanlings, and then the students will train them all the way up through their three or maybe four-year-old year, and we sell them all over North America. We sold, uh, we sell them all over Canada and in Nova Scotia and Vancouver all over Las Vegas, Atlanta, Detroit. We're selling them all over North America. So that's one thing that I do. And I judged actually down in Kentucky last weekend at the International Liberty Horse Association show. They're actually their very first show. Dan and Elizabeth James are putting that on and it was a great event. So I do a little bit of Liberty, uh, the Colt starting. I was keynote speaker over the weekend at the Certified Horsemanship Association banquet. So, yeah, I, I've branched out into a lot of different areas. But, you know, I think just improving the overall quality of horsemanship and educating people is the best way to help the horses and the industry as well. Mm-hmm. And is that something that you feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect at this point in time? 
Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of information out there on mm-hmm. YouTube. You know, anyone can put a video on YouTube and, and there's a lot of good information out there. So, you know, it's a great time to uh, want to learn anything, actually, whether you want to learn about the how to play the guitar or train a horse. Sure. All you have to do is go to YouTube and there's a lot of information. I think the problem that people run into is that when you train a horse, it's almost like putting puzzle pieces together. So you don't want to contradict something that you're teaching the horse by using a different technique. The techniques have to fit together like puzzle pieces so that there's clear communication to the horse. And and I think a good way to go about it is to find someone that is training a horse at a level that you would like to train a horse to. Make sure that they're actually training the horse because there are a lot of people that just, you know, they buy trained horses and compete on trained horses or mm-hmm. even go to clinics and teach on a horse that someone else trained. And that doesn't necessarily mean they can train that horse. So I think you go find someone who can train a horse to that level and you figure out how they're doing it. Yeah, that's a good point. Tell me a little bit about, so obviously you have your hands in so many different areas of the industry. Are you still running a training barn? Are you still riding daily? What what does kind of like a normal week look like for you? Well, I I am still, I'm only training, I have uh, three of my own horses that I'm riding and then I have two customers' horses that I'm riding right now. And so I'll I'll ride uh, several horses a day. I'm at Asbury University on Wednesday and Thursday. And so I'll I have five classes that I'll be teaching next semester. I have four classes this semester. And so I drive down on Wednesday and teach two classes, spend the night there. I get up on Thursday morning, teach two more classes, and then I drive home. So that's my Wednesday and Thursday. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the week, I will uh, ride and and I do a lot of lessons here at home as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'll teach lessons and train the horses that I'm riding. And I shoe all of our horses. I shoe a few outside horses. No way bring them. Yeah, I do. I do a little of everything. Wow. So how long have you been shoeing horses? Well, I I learned back in, you know, probably around 2000 or 2001, I started messing with it. And so I've just learned over the years. And in 2014, we we were in Mount Gilead, Ohio, and we knew that wasn't the place where we wanted to be long term. Sure. And so we um, took a leap of faith and put our place up for sale. And we had it for sale for, you know, a couple of years. It was a, it was a training facility. So there was mm-hmm. a indoor arena, a big outdoor arena. There were 20 stalls. There was a hay barn. We ha- we built all that. And so uh, we actually took it off the market and our realtor called and said, hey, you know, someone that looked at it a couple of years ago, got their place sold. They want to buy it. And so we we uh, closed on it. it. It was either on December 31st or January 1st. And we had to be out on Valentine's Day, which is in February. Mm-hmm. And so it was freezing and we had accumulated so much over uh, being there 14 years. So we had to uh, get rid of a lot of stuff, but make a, we ended up 
staying with a friend of mine named Mike Major, who's down in uh, Bowie, Texas. He just built a brand new place down there. And we went down there and stayed for about, I think, maybe five months. And then we decided we wanted to go on the road. So we had horses. We had three teenage sons, and we had ourselves. And Stacy, my wife, had a blog, and it was, I believe, the, num- the number one equine blog in the world. Wow. And so she had a lot of people reading it, and she uh, wrote a blog about asking people whether they preferred a motorhome with a horse trailer for traveling with family and horses or a mm-hmm. truck with a living quarters for traveling with family oh, and wow. horses. And so a guy reached out that had a family and and he had a truck with a living quarters, but he was the CFO of a uh, motorhome manufacturing company. And so uh, his name's Lance. He's still he's a good friend of ours. And um, he he invited us over to the motorhome motorhome manufacturing plant. And we sat down and they made an offer to us. They said, if you're. uh, crazy enough to travel around the country with three kids and horses, we would like to <laughs> supply you with a motorhome. And so wow. we ended up with a motorhome and, and uh, we traveled for about uh, a year and a half. And we went everywhere from Southern California to Maine and everywhere in between uh, with horses, kids, uh, motorhome. And uh, that was a lot of fun. But I've lost track of the question that you asked me that led me to this story. (laughs) You know what? To be honest, I have too, but it made me think of a different question that's exactly pertaining to what you were talking about, and that is the family dynamic of of your career and your business. So, I mean, first of all, I think just even working with your spouse, there are some amazing benefits and some challenges as well. My husband and I work on uh, my blog together, and he's my photographer and videographer. And it's definitely amazing to have that, you know, in your house and the flexibility and the, you know, collaboration is great, but there are absolutely some challenges. So uh, what, what, what is kind of the dynamic between you and Stacy for um, how you guys handle your business and uh, some of the benefits and some of the challenges you face? Well, you know, being involved in the same industry, one of the, the benefits is, is just understanding where they're coming from and being able to offer advice and, You know, it is, uh, you know, whether it's about customers, it's about magazine articles or videos, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, the the content, the editing, we, you know, it's we're in the same industry. So we understand where each other is coming from. So that is in, in some of the challenges are comparisons. But really, you know, we've we've accomplished so much together. It's it's been a blessing, no mm-hmm. question about it. You know, we we started off both uh, being interested in the reining, and we both brought something different to the relationship. Stacy was has helped me a lot with my horsemanship and understanding horses, the way that they they think, the way they behave. You know, I came from more of a performance horse background where it was understanding the mechanics of the horse a little more and trying to get them to uh, perform in a certain way. And so, you know, we we've helped each other 
as far as the the horse training, understanding how things work, why things work. So that has been a huge benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Do your three boys ride? They all know how to ride, and they rode. Our middle son, Joshua, showed uh, with me for a couple of years and did well, won some belt buckles, some year-end awards. Uh, he was a wrangler at a summer camp. Miracle Mountain Ranch up in Erie, Pennsylvania, outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, for a couple of years, all the boys actually worked there in the summer. But no, they don't ride. They're not all that interested in riding it. Growing <laughs> up, you know, by the time our youngest was seven years old, he had been to 40 states. Wow. And so it all um, had something to do with expos, clinics, horse shows. So they grew up in the back of a pickup truck mm-hmm. with a horse trailer attached to it. And they don't have a lot of interest in horses at this time because <laughs> they, they, yeah, they had enough of it. I it think. was mom and dad's thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's good. You know, they have to figure out what uh, their passions in life are and go for those things. Definitely. Something I always try to ask every guest I have on the podcast is, is there an area of the industry within your niche that you're particularly passionate about that you feel like the industry doesn't either talk a lot about or doesn't know a lot about that you would like to shed some light on? Mm, That is a good question. I'd have to think about that for a minute. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, I think that uh, a big part of the industry, I mean, I think just the almost the more you dive into it, the more you realize how little you know about it and how there are so many facets and, and areas and honestly bubbles that people tend to stay in. I always find it interesting to learn about the different disciplines and levels and facets of the industry because in reality, it, it really is a huge group of people with, with you know, varying interests. Right. I, I think one... One thing that is important for people to understand is that the horses are not robots. And and Mm -hmm. when a horse is trained, it is still a thinking, feeling being. And we can never train it enough to turn it into a a robot or just a motorcycle. If you want to do well competing, trail riding, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to educate yourself. You have to improve your horsemanship. And I think that is one of one thing that people getting into the horses don't really understand. You know, you have all these myths of of drugging and bleeding. And I'm not saying those sure. things don't happen or don't go on because right. I know that they do. But I, I think there is uh, it is very important that people educate themselves on how the horse thinks and and learns. And that's what really uh, we are passionate about. It is teaching people how to train horses. And that's why I do uh, lessons here. I'm going to start doing some traveling lessons. And uh, we do clinics. And that's something I think that is very important. That is such a great point. And that, that stretches across all disciplines for sure. What are some resources that you would suggest to people who are looking to further their horsemanship skills? Well, I think going to clinics is a great way to right. to further your horsemanship skills. Uh, there are 
you know, I grew up reading books, watching DVDs. There's a lot, there are a lot of Facebook uh, videos that you can watch there. There's so much information available, but I still think that you pick someone that is uh, doing something that you want to do and go figure out how you can get the information that that person is providing. You know, if you want to learn how to ride bridalists, if you want to learn how to do reining, if you want to learn how to do dressage, whatever it is, you find out who knows how to train those horses to do that. Yeah, that's a great point. I love it. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule that I was finding more and more about. I don't know how you get everything done, (laughs) but thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Equestrian Podcast today, and I wish you all the best. All righty. You're welcome, Bethany, and thank you for having me. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.